Welcome to the Morning Dove Podcast. I'm so glad that you are here. In this space, I hope to normalize the grief journey while amplifying stories of loss. I believe that listening to each other's stories brings validation, empathy, and an increased understanding of foreign perspectives. By providing a window into the loss community, it is my hope that you will feel seen, heard, and deeply loved. Now on to the episode. Hello, friends. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Morning Dove. I am so glad that you are here. Today, I am so excited to share my conversation with Kristen Hernandez, who is the author of her upcoming book, Sunlight in December. Kristen also runs an Instagram page by the same name and also a website, sunlightindecember.com. Today, we're going to be chatting about faith and grief and child loss and how to navigate um, the wrestling that we can oftentimes feel and experience with our faith um, after a loss. I am really excited about this topic because I am right in the midst of my own wrestling. So this conversation with Kristen was really enlightening for me, and I really hope that you will enjoy it as well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kristen. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Allie. Thanks so much for having me. I am so excited for our conversation. I think this is going to be a really great, deep conversation where we'll we'll look at some, some really cool stuff. Yeah, I think it'll be really good. I'm so honored that you had me on. Of course. Um, would you like to start just by sharing your story? I would be happy to. So I, I'm married to my husband, Chris. We got married. It'll be 10 years this November. So we're coming up on a big milestone. Um, (laughs) that used to sound like so old, like people who were married 10 years were like really established, like far down the line. It felt so far away, but we're almost there. And we pretty quickly into our marriage knew that we wanted to have kids. Like we both just have always loved children. We envisioned ourselves like getting started very quickly, fairly quickly. So about a year into our marriage, we started trying to get pregnant and we ran into a lot of issues. Um, We just, we had unexplained infertility. So to make a long story short, as far as kind of the first chapter of our story, um, we ended up going to see some doctors after like a year and a half of trying and nothing happening. And it turned out that I wasn't ovulating regularly. I was having just a lot of issues and absent periods. And so the doctor recommended a few things and nothing was really working. And they said, well, you're going to need to see an infertility specialist. And Mm so Chris and I were like, we just need a break. Like at this point, it had been a few years of trying doctor appointments, lots of tears. And my husband, I just started a new job. And so my husband was like, why don't you just like, or I was offered the job. He said, why don't you just like get settled into your new job? Like after you're there a few months, like this will just be a good time for us to just kind of relax after what felt like a really hard season. And um, we had kind of taken that break. And a few weeks in, I came down with what I thought was the flu. And what's funny is my husband actually had the flu. So he had the flu and then I thought I got it. So I was convinced I had it, but he got better like two days later and mine just like kept getting worse and worse and worse and um, wasn't abnormal for me to have irregular periods. So I didn't think anything of the fact that I hadn't had one in a while. And 
finally he said like, I think you should take a pregnancy test. And I actually got mad at him and said like, you know that I can't get pregnant. Like there is no way that we are expecting. We haven't been like actively trying. Like there's no way. And so I told him if I don't feel better by the end of the week, I'm going to take this test. And so end of the week, I took the test and I knew what negative tests look like. I had taken so many of them over the past like two and a half years that had led up to that point. And um, took the test and set it on a counter and just walked away like, and walked back in and he had gone to work and I walked back in and it was positive and I just burst into tears and we were understandably ecstatic like he got home from work yeah. that day and it was just like the biggest celebration and we had like been praying all that time like that we would have this baby and we're really involved in our church. And we had so many people praying for us. Like they knew we wanted to get pregnant and we were just like praising God. Like this is a miracle that after all these, you know, years of waiting, like we're finally having this baby. And I thought like, this is the end, like this is a happy ending at the end of, mm -hmm. you know, this, this long season of waiting. Um, and the pregnancy seemed to be going really well. And when I was 20 weeks pregnant, we went in for our anatomy scan and we were, so excited. Like we just wanted to know, are we having a boy or a girl? We want to plan like a gender reveal for our families. We had a family reunion planned the next week and we just like could not wait to tell them that, you know, whether we were having a boy or girl, we wanted to start picking names and decorating a nursery and just starting like all these dreams that you have for your child. Um, so we went to the anatomy scan and the tech kind of, you know, was really quiet. They can't tell you anything. And at the end yeah. she said, if a doctor sees something, they'll call you. And it was on a Friday. So it wasn't until the following Monday that I got a call that morning. We had already left town. So we're in Southern California and we were driving to Las Vegas for this family reunion. And we had just gotten to Las Vegas when we got a call from my doctor and they said, we need to see you. And I was trying to ask questions over the phone with my doctor's yeah. office. And, you know, your heart just sinks. Like, just sinks. Like, what do you need to tell me? And they said, like, it'd be best if you came in. And so I asked the receptionist because I was in tears at this point. I knew something was wrong. Like, they're not going to call me if everything's okay. And yeah, you know, it, and, it, yeah. And you just wish like they would just tell you or something. Something. I mean, yeah, yeah, just something. Tell me yeah. anything. Even just tell me we found something on the ultrasound and yes. it's concerning. Like, yeah, even that. Not just we can't tell you anything like you're left yeah. in the dark I knew it was bad news and we had well-meaning family around us saying things like maybe it's twins maybe and I was like it's there's no way <laughs> no, like like I saw the one baby <laughs> yeah I have pictures yeah. I have like yeah I have pictures printed out like on my fridge like there's yeah. there's no way and um so I ended up asking the receptionist I know you can't tell me anything but yeah. can you ask the doctor if we should come home because we're yeah. in Las Vegas and so she said, and she was as helpful as she could have been. I know it was yeah. like, she didn't want to lose her job. Like, I know that it wasn't like her decision to withhold this information from us. Yeah. I've talked to so many people, as I'm sure you know, like, that's just how it is. Like, they can't tell you anything and it's awful. And so she was so helpful and said, I'm going to walk down the hall and talk to the doctor and I will call you back. So she yeah. did that. She called me back and 10 minutes later and she said, the doctor recommends you come home. Wow. And that's when I knew like my heart sank. Like I just, I cried the whole rest of the day. I cried the whole four hour drive home. I just, I cry. And I, 
was sobbing and we got home, we slept in our bed that night. Um, we got up early the next morning, drove to the doctor's office, met with the doctor and they sat us down and they told us that in the anatomy scan, they noticed that our baby who was a little boy, um, that he was missing a piece of his brain and he had a really severe heart defect and he was a little bit behind in growth and some of his measurements were off and they were concerned that there may be some sort of genetic condition that was influencing all of those things. Um, so we met with a geneticist, we met with the high risk doctor, they did another scan just to kind of show us and we had a great medical team, um, but it's not the news you want to hear. Like the air yeah. just gets sucked out of the room. And I was, I mean, we were devastated. Like this baby is supposed to be this miracle after all this time yeah. of waiting. And just when we had, you know, stopped trying, which is such a cliche to say like, oh, stop totally. trying, it'll happen. Like I hate when people say that, but me too. <laughs> you know, I, it's the worst. Like, it's not true. Yeah. It's not true. But it had happened for us in that moment. And so I thought, well, maybe this is like it, you know, like this is the, yeah. the cliche, like coming true for us. And this is great. We're excited. And it feels like it's all just like meant to be in this timing. And mm -hmm. um, to find out that he had so many health concerns was mm -hmm. just devastating. And so we just like we continued with the pregnancy. I really wanted to carry him to term regardless um, of whatever conditions he had. And our doctor offered us some testing at that point. And we asked a lot of questions. There were some minimal risks to get those tests at that point. And the risks are really low, but I just didn't want to take any risks knowing mm -hmm. that my decision wouldn't change. And so we decided just to wait until he was born to know for sure yeah. what condition he had. Um, so we went to a lot more doctor's appointments and every time we'd go to the doctor appointment, we'd think like, maybe this is the appointment where they're going to look at this baby and say like, why are you here? Like, we don't see anything wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like we were just like holding on to like this hope that everything would be okay. And, and we may, I'll, I can circle back around to this too in a little bit, but I, you know, I had people in my church telling me things too, like, well, we're just going to have faith and he's going to be fine. And, you know, yeah. saying these things to me all the time. And I, I knew in my mind that that didn't mean it was going to happen in that way. Like, I, I don't feel like I ever thought like, oh, you're right. Like everything's going to be fine. Like I always knew like that could happen, but it might not. And it's really hard right now. Cause I know that it might not. Um, and we prayed for that, but knowing that that may not be what happened. And so we went to a lot of those appointments and every time I feel like his condition got worse, it was always like, oh, now we're finding that his stomach is in the wrong place. And now we're finding, you know, all these things and special like driving to L.A. to meet with specialists. And it was just so many appointments. And finally, on August 16th, 2015, um, I went into labor and we rushed to the hospital and it was just kind of this like moment that we had been waiting for all those months, like not knowing, like, what is this going to look like? Like now I'm in labor, our baby's coming. We don't know like what his condition's going to be like. We, throughout the pregnancy, we had been told everything from he could have severe disabilities, he could die prior to delivery. Like we just really don't know. Or he may be like highly functioning and he, he may not have anything that we notice. Like it's just wow. hard to tell until he's born. Um, but with the heart defect, they said for sure he's going to need some heart surgeries. And so we just didn't know like 
what to expect. Um, so Ethan was born on August 16th, 2015 at 1.32 in the afternoon. Um, and he, he didn't cry. Like he, he was born so, so weak, like his body, he, it's like this really harsh reality that I know that like you and so many of like your listeners, like, uh, like understand just like the feeling of just like how harsh and cruel for a baby to be born dying or to be dying prior to being able to breathe their first breath. Like yeah. he, he was like on his way out before he even came into the world. And we saw the doctor. I mean, they did everything like doctors were all around him and, um, it was a really like traumatic scene in the delivery room. Like they were just trying to do everything they could to, you know, help him stabilize. And um, he just, he was like flatlining. And so mm. um, they had told us like, there's nothing more we can do. He's not going to survive. Do you want to hold him? And so my husband and I held him um, and he lived for 93 minutes and then he died in our arms. And it was like the most, wonderful yet horrible day of our lives like just awful and I felt like this rug had been ripped out from under me like I had walked through I felt like all that those years of infertility were for nothing like why why did we even have to go through this like I would have almost in some ways like I would have been better off there but also like I would have never met him it was you know this like I'd give anything to have (laughs) moment with him you know but at the same time like man like why like why 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 and we after that I mean so many of you know like I don't even need to say like just months and weeks of just deep deep grief and depression and anxiety and anger like I was really angry at God for you know why why did you give me this this precious baby and you know give us this miracle just to take him home and um I I've I spent a lot of time wrestling like a lot of time wrestling and learning that God welcomed my wrestling that it is intimate to wrestle it like includes like gripping onto somebody's shoulders and like looking them in the eye and like engaging with these hard questions that I may have been like afraid to ask before or never would have thought to ask before. And, um, you know, was just really angry. And I feel like I was this like child, like beating on my dad's chest. Like why, like, why would you lead us here to leave us here is what it felt like. And yeah, um, was really, really mad. And I, you know, during that time I started really reading my Bible for like one of the first times I've, I've, I grew up in the church. It's always something that had been a part of my life. And I, I turned to it thinking like, I'm going to find a problem here. Like I need to find, like, there's gotta be in, like something wrong here. <laughs> and mm. so I started reading almost out of spite, like you better show me like something. Cause I feel like none of this like holds up to like what I'm experiencing. And I feel like that was that I really saw just how much the Bible like addresses suffering and it's our Mm -hmm. culture that has made it sound like oh well if you like do all these things your life is going to be easy if you like you know go to church and do all the like right things like life is gonna like things are going to be good and like good things happen to good like people who like are you know living in the right way and I started seeing that like 
the Bible says very different things than that and like actually promises suffering and just what a gift we have like with Jesus like destroying death and how like his enemy was my enemy and really wrestled through that um and still wrestle through 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 a lot of that um but so in the in the months that followed you know in this wrestling and just grieving and going through deep grief we decided that we would try to pursue expanding our family again and we knew it had taken us three years with Ethan. And so we were like, we should just start early. Um, I had an emergency C-section with Ethan and we were getting a lot of different Mm. opinions from people as far as like, you should wait 18 months. You should wait six months. Like, no, it should be this lot. Like everyone was telling me something different, even like among doctors. And so we thought, well, six months in, we're going to try knowing it took us three years before it might take us a long time. Like we'll just go for the shorter end of the spectrum of what we're being told. Um, and I got pregnant right away that time. And wow. we were like, okay, like this is okay. All right. Like, and we were very cautiously optimistic. Um, and I probably had not had a positive test for more than a week before I started bleeding. And we knew we were miscarrying that baby. And I just felt like the scar, like all the like scar that it kind of started to form on my heart just got like, like the scab just like ripped open again. And was just so heartbroken. And so we waited a few more months and we decided that we wanted to try to have another baby. And we got pregnant pretty quickly again. Um, but when I was eight weeks, I went in for a scan and they saw that I had what is called a blighted ovum. So mm-hmm. the sac was forming and there's like debris in the sac, but there's no baby forming. And um, it took me like a full month for my body to recognize that it wasn't a viable pregnancy. And I had to, it's like lots of blood tests and all these things. And so after that point, my doctor said, I think maybe we should do some testing, um, just to see if there's something going on. Oh, I should mention. So with Ethan, we did do testing with his cord blood after he was born and we found oh. out that he had trisomy nine. So Ethan oh. did have a genetic condition. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. So we didn't know during the pregnancy, but after his birth, we found out that he had trisomy nine. Um, And then the first miscarriage was really early. So there was really no way to know. And then the blighted ovum just seems to be like an unrelated thing. But the doctor said, well, since you've had three consecutive losses now, like, let's just do some testing, see if you or your husband are a carrier for anything. So we did testing and I was it sounds so ironic to say, but I was like hoping that there would be some sort of diagnosis that way I could like make sense of it all. Like I've had totally relate to that. I just want to know, like, just tell me what happened. I need to. And I think we do that. Like even with, even with just one loss, like that's one loss too many. Like we want to know like what caused this, like why, like not having an answer is so hard to know that like nothing Like you have no explanation for me. I don't know how to avoid this in the future. I don't have anything that feels like, like, and we'll never have closure. Like there are babies, but we want like something to help us understand. And so we ended up getting our results and they were clear for both of us. Like they said, you, neither of you are carriers for anything. Just keep trying. And we were like, really? Like, why have we had like three consecutive yeah. losses. So, and at, at this point, just out of curiosity, like yeah. was, was IVF on the table and like with trisomy nine, maybe, mm-hmm. and maybe you can explain what yeah. that is yes. a little bit. Yeah. 
Um, I, I just don't know. Cause I know with friends of mine who have had like genetic issues, they say, okay, do it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's obviously very expensive. It's very, very expensive. So we hadn't really considered IVF very mm-hmm. seriously just because at that point we were getting pregnant so easily. And so yeah. we were like, okay. Cause originally we were kind of thinking maybe we would need to do that when we couldn't get pregnant. Um, but then we were like, it seems like I was really fertile after we lost Ethan, mm. but so it was something we had kind of considered, but doctors kept saying like, we, we don't think it's an issue that you have. We think like, if you just, you know, keep trying, like you're going to get pregnant again, which I, I mean, I don't love that phrase. I feel like it like implies that the others were failures. And even though they were yes. heartbreaking and devastating, like, it's not just like I can replace those babies yeah. I lost, you know, especially that experience with Ethan. It's like not like I held this baby in my arms and I'm not just gonna like try again and oh now everything's better. Yeah. like everything's better now. Like yeah. yeah. So we were kind of considering some different things, but because we didn't have something that we carried and there didn't seem to be a reason, everybody seemed very optimistic for me, which was kind of rough because I didn't feel optimistic for myself, but everybody, like the doctors and nurses, everybody I talked to, they seemed very optimistic for us. Um, yeah. But I was scared. I didn't yeah. want to keep trying. And so we, that, so that next year, so we lost the, our third baby in September and mm-hmm. that following May was mother's day. And I, I was like, I, was ha- I had a rough time being in church and I definitely didn't want to go to church on Mother's Day. Like I was like, I'm staying home. Like the year before I had stayed home, like every year since we'd lost Ethan, I, we had stayed home. It was like, I'm not going anywhere near anybody, yeah. especially in church right now on Mother's Day. Like I just don't want to do that. And so that year we had just started going to a new church and I was like, I feel like it might be okay there. Like I, f- mm. I just had this feeling of like, I think we'd be okay. And so I told my husband, like, I don't know, like, I don't know how they do things on Mother's Day, but I feel like they would handle it well. And I, so we went on Mother's Day and they read, I don't know if you've heard, I forget who wrote the poem, but it's this like poem that talks about like to the mother who's like celebrating her first Mother's Day, like we celebrate with you and to the mother who just lost a baby, like we see, it was like all these different like ways of mothering and like Mm. acknowledging like moms in every season. And I just like sat there and was crying. Like I feel so seen. And then after that, they actually were bringing in this um, couple that oversaw this foster care ministry. And they wanted to share Mm. about God's heart for adoption and like talk to these like families who were doing foster care and announcing also that our church was going to start this foster care ministry. And so I was sitting there like the whole time feeling like this is what we're going to do next. Like we're going to, we're going to foster to adopt. Like I already see it. Like we've been through all this hard stuff. Like we can handle anything, which is not true. But in my (laughs) mind, I was like, we can handle anything. Like we, we're going to do this. And we walked out of there that day and I turned to my husband and I was like, I don't, this is, sounds crazy to say, but I think this is what I want to do. And he was like, I feel the same way. So we like dove in. We were like, let's fill out the application this week. Like we talked to that couple, Mm -hmm. like we had like got together with them and we were so excited about the opportunity to start doing foster care and knowing that the goal is reunification. Like we felt like we Mm -hmm. were 
getting more educated on it. We felt very educated about it. And we were like, we are really excited about this, like whatever it ends up looking like. <clears throat> Excuse me. So then we started doing the application process. Um, and I, a few months prior, had started to develop some cysts on my ovaries. And I'd gone mm -hmm. to the doctor to look at them. And um, the doctor wanted me to just have a follow-up to check them out that like in like late May. So we had started the process. We had an appointment with a social worker to come to our house. We were like kind of moving forward with that. We were excited about it. Mm -hmm. And we were praying, you know, God, like if you don't want us to do this, like just close the door, like just yeah. show us. Cause we know we kind of quickly dove into it. And if it's not what you have for us, like just make it not happen. So we went to that appointment late May and I, at that point, had completely stopped ovulating. My periods were all over the place again. I had started developing cysts, and the doctor told me I had PCOS, which I didn't have before. It was like, just felt like an added thing. And so I went in, and they did a scan, and the doctor said, your cysts are gone. Do you know you're pregnant? And I was like, no. Like, I did not know. I was not trying. Um, so I kind of waited a little I told, I mean, I told my husband right away, but we were cautiously like optimistic, like, okay, do we withdraw our application from pursuing foster care? Do we keep going forward with it? And the agency we were going through is a private agency that doesn't allow you to have placements if you have a child under one in your house. And so, oh, interesting. Yeah. So, we went to the first appointment and we were like, well, let's just see how this first appointment goes. And if everything is looking like this is a pregnancy that's going to keep progressing, we should probably just withdraw. Also knowing that I'm going to be anxious throughout this pregnancy. Like I'm yeah. not, I'm going to just need to like kind of clear my plate a little bit. And this wasn't something we were planning for and it clearly fell in our lap. And so we're just going to see. So I went to my first appointment and there were two heartbeats. And they were two strong heartbeats. So it was a twin pregnancy. I went to my second appointment. There were still two strong heartbeats. And so we said, we need to withdraw. Like, we're not doing that. We're like, we're not going to do foster care. We're going to have twins. And the doctors were all very hopeful. It felt like this, like, double blessing after everything mm. we had been through. Like, kept going to appointments. And it was, like, two heartbeats. There they are. Like, we started to see them, like, get bigger and... So when I was almost 11 weeks pregnant, went to the appointment by myself and because we had had a few appointments before then and everything, it looked fine. And we were like, we're almost 11 weeks. We've seen strong heartbeats. Like everything's going to be fine. I told my husband, like, just go to work, save this time off for when I'm getting further along. It's going to be a high risk pregnancy because it's twins. Like just save it. Mm -hmm. So we, I went in by myself and the doctor, as soon as she turned the Doppler on, I knew something was off because it was. The, like that sound of silence and I'd heard it before and I just knew and she said I want to send you for a second opinion I don't want to make any decisions right away and I just knew then like this I know this road like this is there it's over and so I did the second opinion um and they also couldn't find either heartbeat and so she scheduled me for a DNC the next day because she said you're a little too far along for me to feel comfortable with you passing, like delivering basically two babies yeah. at home. She said, I, I'd rather you, like that you have two babies. Like, I don't yeah. want you to do that at home. Um, so I had a DNC the next morning and I think I just felt numb at that point. 
I felt like yeah. why was there a different way to close the door on foster care? And <laughs> now I've lost like five babies. Like, where do we go from here? Like, what, yeah. what do we do with this? And just devastated and felt like no one viewed me as a mom. You know, I'd had mm. car- carried four babies in me and people didn't know, like people, you know, strangers say things like, oh, when you're a mom one day and, you know, you want my kids and, you know, all that stuff that just like, is like a dagger to your heart every single time. And just was really, yeah, just tough. Um, so at that point I was like, never, never again. Like I'm, I'm never ever getting pregnant again. There's just so much trauma in that. And though, like I would never change everything with Ethan. I mean, of course I would have wanted a different outcome, but I would never want him to have not like not to have met him. Um, but man, I just, I was like, I can't do this ever, ever again. And so we decided we were done. Like we were looking into like permanent ways to prevent pregnancy. And one day my husband came to me and said like, I, I don't know. I just want to try one more time. And I was like, are you crazy? Like I will never would like no way. Um, and we talked about it and he said, well, how about we just like for the next few months, like just not try to prevent it. And mm. I'm fairly confident we got pregnant that night. Like wow. the timeline, I'm pretty sure that night. Um, so we got pregnant for this with our sixth baby and I ended up, well, so everything was looking great. Like we went to appointments. I had a lot of doctors really taking me seriously at that point because I had had five losses. And so yeah. they were seeing me really frequently. They had me meet with high risk, the high risk department, like almost immediately. Um, they told me even once everything looked good, they did like an early anatomy scan at like 12 weeks, 16 weeks, 18. They were like, he looks great. Like you're having another boy. We did testing that time a little earlier. And yeah. He looks great. Like everything looks perfect with this pregnancy. Like this baby doesn't have any, like no genetic conditions. His heart is strong. He's like 50th percentile, like right in the middle, like growing on track. Like everything looks fantastic. Um, But just to be safe, we're going to measure your cervix every two weeks, like through an ultrasound, just to be safe. And I I had a great doctor, like very proactive. Um. And so when I was 22 weeks, I went in for this, this standard appointment and two weeks prior, he had told me, I don't think you need to keep seeing me. Like I'm, I'm going to do it for you for another, like until we're about 24 weeks, just because I want you to be able to breathe. And yeah. he said, but this is such a typical pregnancy, like yeah. your baby's so strong, so healthy, all these things. So at 22 weeks, I went into his office and he did his normal like scan to see how long my uterus or my cervix was. And he said, you're dilating do you feel, yeah. Do you feel like you're dilating? And I was like, no, I've been having Braxton Hicks all week, but I thought this was just normal. Like, because this is my sixth baby and it's earlier every time and it wasn't painful. And so he said, you need to go to labor and delivery now. And so I was 22 weeks pregnant. I went to labor and delivery and I was like, I'm going to lose this baby. Like, that's what Mm -hmm. happens to me. It was the same hospital where I delivered Ethan. And so it was like checking back in. It just felt so like there was so much PTSD, like walking back through those doors. And I ended up getting admitted. Um, A like angel of a doctor admitted me, even though I wasn't 24 weeks pregnant. He said, usually we don't take women this early. We usually send you home and ask you to put your feet up. And he said, but I read your chart and I'm not going to do that. to you. Like 
I'm keeping you because I'm human. And I could just cry, Dr. Fortson, wherever you are. Like I could just cry. Like he was the doctor on call. He wasn't even my doctor. Like my doctor called him to tell him I was coming over to labor and delivery. But so he admitted me and said, our goal is just to get you to 24 weeks because that's when we consider babies viable. That's when the NICU will look at you. That's when we can start giving you steroid shots. And so I you know, was praying just for one more day. And I, at that point, like, I felt like I didn't know how to pray. I was like, God, like mm-hmm. I have asked for very specific things before and I, and none of those things happened. And I don't know what to ask. Like, help me to believe you can do this, even if you don't like help me to still mm-hmm. believe that you are able to, um, because I feel so just like heartbroken from, mm-hmm all of these things. And I believe you're good, but I don't feel it. And just like, help me to like, even know how to pray, like help me to even know like what to do because I don't know what to say. And so we just, I just prayed, like, just give me like one more day. And I was on like really strict hospital bed rest, like in the bed. And long story short with this pregnancy is that I ended up being in the hospital for 10 weeks um, which is a miracle. Like nobody who was there when I got there expected me to make it past that first week. Like they were all like just trying to kind of like help me stay in good spirits. But my doctor later even told me like, no, like we all thought you were going to deliver like really soon and that you were going to have like a 24 week or maybe. Um, but our son, Andrew was born when I was 32 weeks along. He was, he cried like really loud when he was born and I just bawled like he, yeah, I, this is a sound I like had wanted for so many years. And as soon as I heard his cry, I knew it was going to be okay. Like I just knew like he's going to be okay. And he spent four weeks in the NICU. Um, he didn't have any complications. He just couldn't figure out how to eat and breathe at the same time. And so they were like, he just did something that he'll eventually figure out. Like he's just little still, but he didn't need oxygen more than like the first 24 hours after he was born. They took him off his oxygen because he was doing so well. And um, he just turned three in April and he's just like the most beautiful, sweet boy. He just is such a cuddle bug and he's playing soccer and he just, it's all these things that I feel like every day, like every day feels like a miracle to me because I Mm. never, ever thought that I would get to experience this. And I didn't even know like how to get through each day when I was in the hospital, just waiting for him to be born, not knowing whether he would ever come home with us. And um, so that I know that's a very long story, but that is our (laughs) family story. That is um, just our journey toward, um, I mean, not just toward parenthood, like Andrew wasn't the moment I became a mom. Like I became a mom the moment I saw that pregnancy test with Ethan almost six years ago. Like, you know, I've been a mom for five and a half years, but, um, yeah, so that's our, that's our family. Just, I'm a mama to six, even though to most people who don't know me and just see me in line at target, they would think I am a mom to one, um, but mama to six total. No. Oh my gosh. There were several, I'm like (laughs) ready. (laughs) I'm like holding back tears. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. I I really appreciate it. Um, I just want to take a second to say, you know, obviously Kristen and I come from a Christian faith background Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I do think that a lot of the things we talk about can really apply to anybody of any particular faith background who is in a season of really asking why. Yeah. I think um, I'm in that season and I'm, I don't have any answers. I may never come up with an answer, mm-hmm. but I would love to talk more about the wrestling aspect mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people can relate to that regardless of what their background maybe might be. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And I think that wrestling is something that I would say most of us do. Like, yeah, I think it's more common than not, but I think it's something that maybe we – don't do very openly because I think there's like almost a shame and a stigma a stigma attached to it. I know for me, I know I mentioned that, you know, being in church and I, I think it's important too for me to say that I like I I know for me, like my faith is something that is still so important to me and I think is even mm-hmm. more important to me now than it was 10 years ago. Um even though I think it has gotten harder over the years. Yeah. It's not like it's gotten easier. It's gotten harder. Um, but it's something I think I believe in even more now. But I think part of that is because I went through the process of wrestling. And I think like wrestling is this intimate thing. Like it, I think of like our relationships with anybody we love, like with my husband, like if I just like acted like I was always happy with everything my husband said and never had any issues, like we wouldn't have much like intimacy in our relationship. Like it takes this intimacy to be like, Hey, like when you said that, that really bothered me or like, yeah, you do this thing. And I don't understand why you do that. <laughs> like that, you know, like there's this, but it's this like intimacy. Cause you know that like, I still love you. You still love me, but like what are you like, what the heck are you doing? Like, why is, yeah. <laughs> why is it like this? Like, I don't understand. And I think that is real intimacy and relationship with somebody rather than just like, oh yeah, like I'm fine with everything you do. And I never like really question or wonder. And I think we don't talk about it a lot. Cause I know for me, I think I felt this shame as if like, if I said that I was wrestling or that I was questioning, people would think like, Mm -hmm. well, she must not have enough faith or she's, you know, less than. And I have realized that like, it takes a lot of faith to continue coming to God with your questions. Like that takes a lot of faith to be like, I'm like really struggling with doubt and with question and I'm still choosing to come to you. Like that is such, like that takes such great faith to do. Yeah. And whereas if I didn't really like even consider you being there, like I wouldn't bother, like I wouldn't bother right. to keep like, what is going on? Like, and so I, and I think this, this process of wrestling, like it's different than walking away. And I, I've, you know, talked to friends who have walked away because of their questionings and their doubt and their hurt. And I think that is different than wrestling. Like, I think wrestling is this process of like, um, so I have a book coming out later this summer and I write, I wrote a lot about this analogy of like in a wrestling match. And I don't know a lot about wrestling, but (laughs) what I do know is that there's usually like two competitors and they come out into the ring and they like grapple with each other. And if one of them came into the ring and they looked at the other in the eye and they were like, 
I'm gonna like take you out and like just yelled a bunch of insults, but then left the ring. Like the match never started. Like the wrestling match mm-hmm. never happened. And so I think when we wrestle with our faith, like we dig in, in even if like like you have real emotions, like we can be honest with our real emotions as we dig in and reading. And I think for me, like the ways that I would encourage someone to wrestle well would be like to lean in like wrestling, I think takes a posture of leaning forward rather than leaning back. Um, Mm. And I think our natural reaction is to lean back because we're hurt. And so we kind of want to lean back with this wrestling is like leaning in and, you know, continuing to like, I know for me, the four things that were really helpful for me were um, to continue to pray, even when it, just was so hard to do. Um, the Bible says in in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us when we don't have the words to say. And I'm really thankful for that. I believe that because mm-hmm. I know that I don't have the words to say a lot of times. And so I'm grateful that I can just say like, hey, Holy Spirit, like help me. I don't know what, like, I don't know what to say here. Mm-hmm. Um, and continuing to read the word when I, um, to read the Bible when I felt like not like reading the Bible, um, but continuing yeah. to to dig into scripture and to really see that, you know, scripture calls Jesus a man of many sorrows. Like yeah. he is well acquainted with grief and um, to really read God's word and to stand on that. I'm having trouble hearing. Siri thinks I'm talking to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I... And also being honest is the third thing. And then the fourth thing that has really helped me is doing it in community. And I think it's so hard to do it in community. It's so scary to do it in community because we don't want to tell just like anybody like, hey, I'm struggling with this. But I think finding people who I know would not run from my emotions, um, Mm -hmm. but would still do it with me. I um, When we were going through everything with Ethan, our pastor's wife, our pastor at the time, his wife, um, was such an encouragement to me. And I think part of it was that she never, like, there was no shock on her face. Like, no matter what I would say, she was very, like, she heard what I was saying and she would just constantly, like, be the shoulder for me to, like, lean on and to fall into and was, like, very motherly. And a lot of this came from wisdom and experience of years of her having walked through a similar journey 30 years prior. And mm. so she was that much further ahead. Her kids were my age and she had known though, cause one of her babies had not survived cause he had anencephaly. And so she was such an encouragement to me. And I remember her telling me one Sunday, I was just so honest with her. She asked me how I was doing. And I was like, I'm doing horrible. Like, yeah, not, I don't (laughs) want to be here. Like if one more person tells me to like, just be happy, like anything like that, like, I'm just going to lose it. Like I am just really struggling and I'm angry. And I remember her telling me like, God can handle your anger. Like you think your anger is too big for him. She said, just tell him you're angry. Like he knows already, be honest with him, come to him. He can handle it. Like tell him that. And I hadn't really thought about that a lot before. It seemed almost like this like thing I shouldn't do. And, and she was like, just be honest with him and tell him that you're unhappy. And I remember her telling me something I'll never forget. And she took her hand in mine and she was like, I don't know 
what God is doing here. And she's like, and I know it's awful. Like it feels awful and this all hurts. And she's like, but I do know that he'll never leave you empty handed. I just don't know what he's going to fill your arms with yet. And I Mm. have always thought of that because scripture also talks about like God gives only good gifts to his children. And it's so hard for us to see these things as good because we're like, this doesn't feel good. Like this doesn't feel (laughs) good. Um, But knowing that at the end of our lives, like I believe all of this is going to be like a vapor, like just like steam coming out of a coffee cup, you know, and it's just like it was here and then it's gone. And um, it all just like being made new one day and it not always being this way. And so I've always thought of that, but I've always appreciated too, that she met me in my grief. She didn't talk down at me in my grief. She didn't like, you know, she wasn't, cause I feel like so many people when we're grieving, they like, it's like if we were like in a race and you ran like you broke your leg and you're on the side of the ground, like ground and people are like yelling at you, like, you can do it, get back up, get back up. And you're like, my leg's broken. Like, tell me yeah. how to run with my leg broken. Like you expect me to just get back up and keep sprinting. Like my leg's broken. And I feel like so many people would like keep running past me, like clapping at me, like, just get back up. And I feel like she like really like got down with me and like, how can I, you know, meet you here and acknowledge that your leg hurts while also helping you continue to run. Um, but acknowledging that like you do have a broken leg, so we're going to help you with that too. And so, yeah, it's been a journey. It really does seem like that was someone who was able to provide that validating voice. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know if you've heard the term like spiritual bypassing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I have, experience this, um, you know, not like totally in my face, but just this sort of, like, like you said, where you had those people who were like, just have faith, just mm-hmm. be happy. Yeah. And it's so frustrating as a person who's grieving or even in your situation as someone who's hoping for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then to just continue to hear those messages. Um, is there any, anything you want to speak to that? Yeah. I mean, I think, to the, that was one of those things that as I started really reading the Bible seriously for the first time that I started to see that that is not the tone that the Bible is written in. And the whole book of Psalms, not the entire thing, but a lot of it is David writing laments. Like if you open up mm. the Psalms, there's a lot of like, God, why have you forsaken me? Like how yeah. long, oh Lord? Um, The story of Job is one of my favorites, and it's a story of this righteous man who, and it's a true, like, historical account that's in the Bible, of this, like, righteous man who lost everything. Like, he lost his livestock, which is, like, your well-being back then. Like, his land, all of his children died, like, when the house collapsed, and he, his health started deteriorating, and his friends came to comfort him and his friends are actually telling him like, maybe you sinned, like maybe God's punishing Mm. you. Like they're giving him all this bad advice. And he even cries out like even Job who like the whole point of that story is that Job was righteous and that he wasn't being punished. Like he was this righteous man and these things were still happening to him. And, but Job even cries out like, like I would have been better off not to be born. Like God, like Mm. just strike me dead. Like he's, So we see all these people throughout scripture that are like, I wish I were dead. (laughs) Like I'm, you know, like, Lord, like why? Um, 
And I let, we even see Jesus like the night before he was delivered over to be killed in this horrible way. And he even is like praying to God and like sweating blood and saying like, God, if there is a different way to do this, like, please do this a different way. Um, But still submitting and being humble and allowing God to work the way that they had already planned to do it. But, you know, even him like saying like, if there's a different way, like, please do this a different Mm. way. And I think we see a lot of of lament and a lot of sorrow and a lot of these people, like, not just like saying like, oh, everything's fine. Like everything's great. And while I do believe a lot of the things that those people say as far as like, oh, our babies are now whole, like they're with Jesus. Like I believe that, but I also know that we live in a world that is currently broken. Like it is broken. And so we can cry out and lament. And I don't think God looks at us and it's like, why do you have, you like, why are you sad? Like, yeah, he knows (laughs) that this is hard. Like he knows. And I think it was, it is such an encouragement to me that, you know, in the Bible, it talks about like Jesus came to earth to die on the cross and to conquer death, like to destroy Mm -hmm. death, to make a way where his children would not have to die forever so that we could be with him forever. And it occurred to me one day that, wow, like Jesus came to destroy the thing that I am, that I hate, like this thing that I feel like has destroyed like so many things in my life. Like he came to destroy that. And that is a comfort to me, but kind of bad. I know this kind of all over the place and I, um, but I do think people do, yeah, dismiss the, the hard, like the heartache of it. And we don't need to do that. Um, there is this book. I need, I need to like find the exact reference for you, but, um, there's this book called God on mute by Pete Gregg. Um, Grieg, I think it's G R I E G. I think the E and the I may be flipped, but, um, Pete (laughs) Gregg wrote this book called God on mute. And he talks about like the inconsolable things in life. And he talks a lot about how like on good Friday, when Jesus died, like the whole world was like dark. And then on Easter Sunday, like, you know, Jesus rose again and it's all like light and everything's good. But like, we forget that there's like this whole day in the middle where like everything was just like felt hopeless. And Mm. he sees believer. He talks a lot about like how he sees believers, like just rush to the resurrection really quickly. And just like in our lives, like, just like, everything's great. Everything's great. Like we have this thing to look forward to when really he talks about like how frail and fragile our faith faith must be if we're like not willing to just be sad for a little bit like knowing that that's coming Mm -hmm. but like also recognize that like this awful thing just happened like we don't need to rush to that like we know it's there and we you know there's a verse that talks about how we grieve with hope that doesn't mean we don't grieve like we have this hope but we still grieve like we're we're still grievers like when we have permission to be sad and to cry and I think it's not a service really to anybody to not mourn with those who mourn. I think that is something that I don't think the church as a whole, especially maybe and this is probably a Western thing too. This probably is not like a worldwide thing, but um, the Western church, I feel like does not do a great job of mourning with those who mourn. Um, It's just not something that is done well (laughs) at all, like at all. Yeah. 
And I'm really loving this conversation because while I'm in a very different place, belief wise, mm-hmm. like there's so many things that I agree with you. With. Yeah. Like I, I love, even if I may not, you know, land in the place where I believe that Jesus died for our sins or, or, mm-hmm. or yeah. some really deep theological things, like I can still agree. Like the Bible and Jesus say like death has been defeated mm-hmm. and I still do really uh, what's the word? <laughs> uh, resonate yeah. with when you said earlier, you said like his enemy is my enemy yeah. and the enemy is death. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that is something that it's like, I'm, I'm so thankful that I can look at these things and still take these encouragements and say like, yeah, that like speaks to my soul. Yeah. Like yeah. my soul says yes to that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And death is not a good thing. Like, I think no. that is so important. Like, I just, like, I can't say that enough because I think there's almost this, like, at times I've heard people fra- phrase it in this way almost as if, like, death is this good thing. Like, well, but death is good. It's like, no, death is not good. Like, no. we have a hope that is bigger than death, but, like, death is not good. Like, let's not, not the glorify death as this good thing. Yeah. yeah, like, death is not a good thing. Like, there are horrible things that happen in this world. Like, we can't just, like, look at, like, death and injustice and like abuse and all these things and be like oh but it's all good because there's a good good ending we can look forward to like yes, yes we we have that hope like that is there and that is real and so it changes how we live in that like between season between like good friday and holy and uh, easter sunday like there's this like yes. you know it changes how we live in that time but like those things aren't good like it's not like no. those are good things that we can like be happy about even though <laughs> We can have hope in those things, but those aren't like good things. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious your um, perspective on something. So I really, really struggle with when people tell me God's in control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't worry. God's in control. Yeah. And my immediate response is, well, where was he? You know, yeah. when my son died. Um, and I am really wrestling. So I, I don't know what I believe in, in regards to this, but I'm, I'm really wrestling out with like a, okay, you being God, speaking to God, you're mm-hmm. being in control and you being good. And I know I should probably just read your book, but um, <laughs> that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do, I do still believe in God. I do still believe in the goodness of God. I'm losing a belief in the control. Yeah. And I, am falling into a space of like, I think we're also supposed to be the answer to our own prayers. So anything we pray for, I think we're, we're really meant to also be willing to see that happen. Like if I'm praying, you know, God, please like act in this like area where injustice is being done. Mm-hmm. I have to also be willing to. Yeah. You're not just sitting back, like waiting for yes. everything to ha- Yeah. You're still yeah being obedient to things that you feel called to do yes with those things yeah yeah and so I almost see it as sort of like a scale um where on the one hand it's like you could totally believe that God's in control of every aspect of your life and that you have no control you know and to me that's a I believe that's a fatalistic perspective yeah that's saying you know everything's out of my hands whatever happens happens everything happens for a reason and I just can't be in Mm -hmm. control of my life yeah and on the other hand, you have, I have ultimate control and, you know, I am totally in charge of my life and, you know, 
this world is is messed up and cruel because people are messed up and cruel. And, you know, there and I guess on the other hand, if we're going completely opposite end of the spectrum, you could have somebody who just don't, totally doesn't believe in God at all, mm-hmm. you know, and, or, or any, I guess, yeah, any deity. Yeah. So I don't know where I'm really going with this question, but yeah. I am in a place where I'm kind of like trying to take my theology and take my, what resonates with mm-hmm. my soul. Cause I do re- like, we call it Holy spirit, but like, I really do believe that things resonate with our soul and that's when we know things are true. I don't know if that's yeah. like yeah. weird. I get what you're saying. And I think okay. maybe what you're touching on too is like, how do we reconcile that if, if we believe God is in control, what does that say about all of this like horrible stuff that we look horrible around and see stuff. in our lives on the new, like, like just seeing so many things that feel like this does not feel good. Yeah. Um, and I, I will say, like, I, I'm, I'm positive that my response is going to leave things unanswered. So I will yeah. say that, like, you're, like, my response, I will tell you, like, kind of my initial response, knowing that, like, I am not, like, going to probably put a pretty bow on it. Yeah. Um, I get what you're saying. I feel like that is such a natural response for us, especially those of us who have been raised in our faith. And this is something we always just kind of, like, accepted and then like things enter our world and we're like okay what like how do I make sense of this and um so like God is not the creator of well he's not the orchestrator of evil like Mm. evil came into the world as a result of sin in the world um but nothing happens without filtering through God's hands so I think of it as like he is powerful every everything and nothing happens that he doesn't first say okay like that's gonna happen um now that is really hard for us to wrap our minds around because then we see horrible things happening and we're like well why did you let that happen like even if you didn't do that why did you let that happen like that makes no sense to me and so the thing that I constantly come back to and I feel like this is either very very encouraging or not, depending on who you are when you hear this. So I I understand that. But like for some people, this is gonna be like, yes, like I can rest in that. And like that may not be how everybody feels when you hear this. But at the end of that story of Job in the Bible, and Job loses everything and he's wrestling with God, and there's chapters and chapters of his friends telling him, like, maybe you did this, maybe it was that, like, maybe you need to learn a lesson, like all these things. At the very, very end, God speaks to Job, like at the very, very end. And Job does not have like any answers. Like he asks God, like, why? And God basically says to Job, where were you when I created the world? And like, do you make the wind come and the, you know, the world turn and the sun and all these things and every single star that hangs in the sky? Like, did you do that? And then basically says to him, like, Like basically like he never tells Job why any of that awful stuff happens. He just reminds Job of who he is. And Job like looks at God and is like, wow, like you are so big and I am so small. And that is answer enough for me. Now, again, I recognize that for some, this is super encouraging. of like, okay, like I don't need to have all the answers Mm. because I trust that God is a 
above like me needing to have the answers. Like he is big enough. He is answer enough to my questions. I also know that that can also still leave questions like, but I still don't understand. Like I still don't understand. Um, But I know for me, I like I take comfort in reminding myself of that regularly of like, I wouldn't want to serve a God that I felt like I was smarter than or that Mm. I knew more than. Um, And I take comfort knowing that I believe one day, like everything is going to be made whole again. And that all of this is at that time, I'm going to look back and it's going to feel so small, even though right now it feels so, so big. Mm. Um, So that is something that encourages me. And again, I know it is not a, an answer (laughs) per se. Um, No, but it does answer Cause I was asking, you know, I really wanted to hear how you got yeah, through yes, that. Yeah. yeah. And, and that does really help yeah. answer my question. And I think that's just one of the things that I'm going to have. I personally, I'm going to have to take and continue wrestling mm-hmm. with. Yeah. And I think I just love the way you described wrestling. And I think that it totally, I mean, at least in the Christian community is something that's stigmatized mm-hmm. or something that is totally discouraged. I've received discouragement when I've told people I'm, I'm, questioning right now and you know just told like no you need to you need to have faith and it's like cool how do I do that yeah <laughs> how do I do that yeah it's like I I agree faith is important but faith blind faith is I don't think that's what we're called to have I think we're called to wrestle yeah and I think we're called to have relationship and I think we're called to to just like he said have that in- intimacy yeah. And the same, yeah. So I, I really do hope that anyone listening who is questioning things doesn't feel discouraged from just diving into it. Yeah. I would say keep doing it. Keep yeah. doing that. Yeah. Keep wrestling and keep diving in and keep reading and praying and and asking God to speak to you and and being willing to hear what he has to say too. And keep engaging. And it's not a fun, it's not like, it's like a fun, easy process. Like wrestling no, is awful. work. Like it's work. Like I, yeah, I would never want to actually be a wrestler. Like that doesn't sound fun <laughs> to me at all. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, what advice would you have for someone? Cause I, uh, going back to when you said that you had that community. Mm-hmm, of yes. What advice would you have for the community member and for the friend of someone who's wrestling? Yeah. Um, who knows that their, their friend is really struggling. Yeah. I would say like, keep showing up for your friend and recognize that they like recognize their pain in it. And you can speak truth to them, but know that truth that is spoken in the pit alongside them is so much better received than truth that is hurled from a distance. And also don't feel like you have to always say something. That's something else. Don't feel like you always have to say something. Um, I would really like take time to consider your words too and consider whether the things you're saying are even true. Um, But also acknowledging that pain and not being afraid to sit down in the dirt with them. And, you know, again, like 
I think of Debbie, my pastors at the time, his wife, and there were things she spoke to me that were things that maybe some words that other people said to me that I didn't, that I like cringed when other people said it to me, but there were things she said to me that I was like, I really hear what you have to say because you are acknowledging how bad this hurts. Like, and I would realize later, like, huh, that's interesting that she said some of the same words that someone else said to me, but that other person said it. And I was like, they do not know what they're talking about. Like, how dare they, you know, and no idea what I've been just, through. Yeah, <laughs> and just her like getting in it with me. And so I'd say yeah. just like acknowledge the pain and, and really, you know, it is okay to say something. I'm not saying don't say anything like silence can be yeah. painful too, but it's okay if you don't know what to say. And it's okay to just keep showing up for your friend. You don't have to know what to say and that's okay. Yeah. And I think I would add to that um, just from where I'm at, a a friend of mine had told me like, Hey, we love you no matter where you land, Mm -hmm. you know? And that just gave me the permission to know that that's a safe person. Yeah. And the more safe people we have as we're going through both grieving and wrestling you know, the better off we are. Yeah, definitely. Okay. I want to talk about your book for a minute. All right. Um, first off, what made you choose the the title sunlight in December? Yeah. So I actually blogged under this name for a few years. So I had thought of so many different titles and I thought of doing something completely different from that. And then I just kept coming back to it. It's what I've blogged under. It's my Instagram handle. It's my website. Like it's every, like I own it everywhere. And it just seemed such a natural choice. But, um, the funny thing is, is I picked it in college. I was a journalism student. We had to have a blog to like, it was part of our journalism class. And so I like picked it and would use it. And I just thought it sounded fun at the time. And it really had become a theme in my life over the years. And so when I picked it, I didn't realize what a theme it would become. Um, but when I think about sunlight in December, I think about when it is so stormy and everything feels so cold and so bitter. And I live in Southern California, so I know I only know this to like a slight extent, but I know that there are places where it gets so harsh in the winter. And even when it's cold here in the winter, I don't love it. Um, And there are times when it's so dark and stormy, but above all the clouds, like the sun is always still shining. It's still there. And I think of like, when those clouds start to break and the sun just like pierces through the clouds, like that sun was always there, even though Mm. we don't always feel it. And that warmth like is still there. And that is the picture I always think of um, when I think of our grief too, is I think it's just this storm, but I just know that like there, like God is like that sun, like that warmth, like just, it's still there. It's still good. Even though everything underneath is like, hurricane, like monsoon, like all these things happening. And so that is kind of the theme and the picture that keeps coming back. Um, so that is how I came up with the title, but it is kind of funny that I thought of the title before it ever really turned into a, a book or really before we even entered any season of real suffering or grief. Yeah, that is really interesting. I do love that picture. I think that's really cool. And your book does describe your story and mm-hmm. your wrestling. Is there anything else you want to tell us about? Okay. Yeah. So it's really written as a memoir. And I, I started writing it 
probably three weeks after Ethan died. I started really? writing right away. Yeah, it was so therapeutic for me. And at the time, I didn't know whether it would turn into anything. I just, I wanted to remember his story. I wanted to remember where I was when I found out, where I was when I got the call, what the doctor said to me, what it felt like sitting in the geneticist chair and like receiving this news and what it felt like to deliver him and to like just that his whole story, like I wanted to remember it. Um, so I talk a lot about his story. I would say the bulk of the story is about him. Um, and then also talking about the season of the, the miscarriages after um, and just how much I, I wrestled through that season. Um, so I talk a lot about death and like why we don't talk about death as a culture and like just talking more about death. Um, I talk a lot about wrestling. I talk about prayer and there's a whole chapter on why do we pray? Like, why do I even pray? Um, just reconciling. Yeah. Like I prayed so hard for this baby who didn't survive and didn't know how to pray for this like child who's like here and perfect. And like, how do I reconcile these things and why do we pray? Um, and I talk a lot about, I keep coming back to the story of Job quite a bit. And, um, so that's kind of in a nutshell. It's it's our story with different topical things woven throughout, but it's a lot of our our story. And um, I'm really excited to see it come into something because it's something I've been working on for a while and have taken long breaks from, like year-long breaks from, and have come back to and um, really excited to see what happens with it. So yeah, it's um, coming out this summer. I don't have an exact date yet. Um, I'm working with a hybrid publisher and um, I got my final cover design today. And so things are really moving forward, but we're on track for summer of 2021 for it to be available um, definitely on Amazon and a few other places as well. Great. I'm really excited to read it. I think it'll be very helpful. And also I just, I love hearing anyone else's story who's gone through something similar to me. Yeah, me it too. It feels so validating. Yeah. 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 And there is nothing like this community. I know everybody says yeah. like, it's the, it's the club no one wanted to be in, but it is <laughs> yeah. the best one in the most ironic, awful way. It is that yes. there's no great, like just more wonderful group of, of women and friends just holding each other up through this horrible journey no one would want to take yeah I want to end with um just seeing if you have a word of encouragement for someone who is in that season of trying to hold on to hope mm -hmm. you know just waiting for either a child or you know just resolve or someone who's just holding in that space of like hoping for, for something better. Yeah. And yeah. Is there anything that you can say that would, that you wish you would have heard in that season? Maybe? Yeah. I, I think I would say like, just continue to lean in and mm -hmm. don't let go of that hope. And it's, it's okay. If that thing changes, um, I think, like the thing I was like really hoping for changed several times throughout. So like there were times where I was really hoping for a baby. And then there were times where it was like, maybe my hope is something else in this season. And it wasn't giving up hope to kind of change where I was fixing my eyes. Like in that, in that moment that I would say, yeah. just continue to, to lean in and continue to wrestle and continue to just fight, like fight for, for that hope. Um, and know that it is normal to, for it to be a fight and for it not to be like a yeah. natural, natural thing. 
Mm, I really like that because, yeah, I think that the hope can change. And I just kind of see it as like, okay, there's this light ahead of us. And we're, we're pursuing that light, that thing we're hoping for. And maybe the light changes colors, like maybe yeah. a filter goes over it yeah. and it becomes something else that we weren't expecting, but it's still that thing that we're, we're pursuing and we're hoping for. Yeah. And something important too, that I, I want to add kind of about the book and also about this, because it made me think about this is that I do not end the book with the birth of our living son, because mm-hmm. when I was writing it, I felt like it was really important to talk to mamas who were in the position I was in before he was born. And so I just want anyone listening to, to also know that if you don't have a child in your arms, like I don't want you to feel like this book is not for you or that that's like the happy ending at the end of our book. Like it is not. Um, And I did that on purpose. Like that was very intentional. I, I am incredibly thankful for his life. I mean, I cannot like say that enough. And so I am so happy that he's here, but I did not want to write the book as if that were my hope at the end of the book. And so I also think that's worth adding to for anybody listening who's like, well, that's great for her. Like that's yeah. good for her that she <laughs> had this like miracle at the end and her baby came home. Like I get that that does not happen for everybody. And I really did not want to write it in a way that made anybody feel like that was this like ribbon at, at the end of it. And so um, I really wanted to write it in a way where anybody reading could walk away with some glimmer of hope, even if it doesn't look like that. I love that. That's really beautiful. And I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, where can everyone find you? Yeah. So you can find me on my website, which is sunlightindecember.com. Um, I'm also really active on Instagram at sunlightindecember.com. Um, and I'll be definitely posting more on both the website and on Instagram um, as far as just dates once I have them and more information yeah. about the book launch and all those um, fun updates. Awesome. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to have this conversation. Oh, thank you so I much for having really me. really appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Allie. Yeah, of course. Well, thank you all so much for listening. If you've made it to the end of this podcast, we really appreciate <laughs> it. Um, please go ahead and give us a follow over on our Instagram, which is at Morning Dove Pod. You can also follow me um, at Allie Rose Felker. And then if you have a story or an insight to share, please shoot me an email that's at Allie Rose Felker, Felker with an F at gmail.com. I hope you all have a beautiful day.